land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk Good evening. Welcome to Yadda Radio. We're going to have a three-part uh, program this evening. We're going to talk a little bit of, of news. Then we're going to discuss the uh, Heritage Science article that was uh, published on the Paleo-Hebrew script that dates back to the time of Moshe, Moses, and the revelation of the Torah. Uh, and then uh, we're going to return to Mismore 89. I think we're on 89.15 this evening. Uh, to begin... Uh, uh, with the uh, the news, uh, a couple times the smaller things catch my eye because they're so indicative of the nature of America. You know, here we are uh, using Ukraine to fight a proxy war against Russia, and you have both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, vying for who can be the biggest hawk as it relates to pushing the nation with the most nuclear weapons uh, to the precipice of using them. Uh, you have a, a Democrat uh, from uh, the great state of Montana. He uh, beat the incumbent Republican because he accused the incumbent Republican of being too close to lobbyists. And that he said he was going to hold himself to a rigorous ethics standard. And of course, to set himself up to be rigorous in his ethics he uh, is on the, uh, the Senate Armed uh, Forces uh, Defense Appropriation Committee. Now, can you imagine being on a committee that would be less susceptible to, uh, to your constituents who you have never met, who are not even in your state, sending you money? Well, that's what's happened. Yes, old uh, Democrat John Tester. Uh, just this year alone, has received $160,000 in donations uh, from the defense industry, 49, 49 Lockheed Martin executives and lobbyists, none of which had ever given to uh, a, a campaign of a Montana senator before, none of which know this man from Adam, have no affiliation with him whatsoever, 
but they have sent him $50,000, these 49 uh, uh, executives of, uh, of Lockheed Martin. And, and of, of course, guess who uh, voted on a $1.5 billion appropriation for more F-35 fighter jets? <coughs> Let me guess. Him? Yeah, guess what? Pretty good investment, I guess, if you can get 49 of your executives and you reimburse them for making uh, campaign uh, contributions uh, to a senator who's on the uh, Armed Services Committee, uh, Appropriations Committee, and uh, and out of that, you get a $1.4 billion contract. Washington is uh, is such an ethical place. We have uh, major problems in uh, in Israel now. Uh, uh, the uh, the northern part of what's called the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, particularly Samaria, is um, being riddled with terrorists. Uh, what's happened is that was the head of the PLO and uh, Palestinian Authority. He is ruthless and senile, and and has really no. Um, support hasn't even held an election in decades because he know he'd be uh, uh, obliterated. Uh, and he has even no authority over the Palestinian Authority uh, uh, policing agencies and, uh, and uh, armed agencies. And so the northern part of Sumeria, the northern part of the, what's called the West Bank, is inundated with Hamas and Islamic Jihad terrorists. And they're armed to the teeth. They have uh, been able to bring in through, uh, through Jordan and elsewhere uh, thousands of uh, rifles and other uh, kinds of weapons. Uh, and they're scheming against Israel at, uh, at a far different pace than previously. Um, so earlier this week, uh, two of them, uh, two young men with uh, AK-47s ran into a gas station in a uh, Hebrew town, and they killed four people. And so the local settlers did something that is really stupid, but understandable, nonetheless stupid. They went into the uh, town where where the escaped uh, gunmen had fled and started burning down uh, buildings and cars. Uh and in so doing, rioting in this town, they even went into a Quran and tore up, uh, or excuse me, a mosque and tore up a Quran. Uh, having done so, what they do is they bring the wrath of the world down because now there is the perception of equivalency. Now, while there isn't any, Jews, you've got to be better than this. And, and if you're not better than this, the world's going to get very dark very quickly uh, for you. Uh, the United Nations came out and scolded Israel and said that they've escalated all of this and blamed everything except the arming of Islamic jihadists throughout that territory and the fact that they are now killing Jews more aggressively than uh, ever before. Um, it is going to become a disaster. Um, and you've got numbskulls like uh, the Druze uh, in that community uh, recently rioted against a wind farm. And they some, somehow believe that because there's a wind farm, they're somehow deprived of something. Um, 
And then you've got the Haredim that are now taking spitting to a, uh, well, their view, their um, um, uh, way of, of, of demonstrating that they're as bad as anybody, even though they won't serve in the IDF. Uh, they've taken to making spit their, uh, their weapon of choice. And they're spitting on Armenian priests, Christian priests. Now, yeah, we don't have any favoritism here towards any religion. I hate them all. Uh, right. But to go around and spitting on Christian pre- uh, priests and, and to have it orchestrated and uh, condoned by a huge swath of, uh, of Jews. And they, they condone it because they say, well, they're, uh, they're involved in missionary tactics and that this is a Jewish state and they, uh, they have no right to, uh, to perform missionary work. But the Armenian uh, church does do missionary work, never has. Uh, there are some Jewish organizations that are missionary, mostly Messianic. Uh, but to spit on them and... There was a conference that, uh, just a musical production that one of the Messianic groups wanted to hold. And they rioted against them, the Herodic did. Um, If you do that, Jews, you're going to bring the world down on you. You're you're not saving and protecting your Jewish state. You are assuring that the whole world turns against you. You present yourselves as uh, uh, under the stereotypes that caused Jews to be so abused throughout Europe. So this is a real tragic turning point uh, in um, the way that uh, Fakistanians are responding and the way that Jews are responding to them. There's also news now out of Washington. It's been for two weeks that Netanyahu was the first to report it, that the United States was going to uh, release all of uh, the sanctioned funds of Iran and, uh, and then have a handshake agreement, non-written agreement with him. Uh, it's a non-written agreement because Biden wants it off the table. He wants to preclude Israel from defending itself, and he, he knows he can't get Senate confirmation. So what he has done is said, well, if I have a, a verbal agreement, I don't need Senate confirmation, which he'd never get. And uh, by uh, executive order, he'll release the sanctions on Iran. And all they have to do is rather than not refine uranium past three and a half percent, the new threshold is don't uh, get caught uh, refining it above 60 percent. It is a very, very scary day, and the world's going to pay a tremendous price for having done so. There was a news article that came out today on um, the, uh, uh, I think it's the Texas Rangers. They're the only one of 30 Major League Baseball teams that doesn't have an official Pride Night. Pride Night. Now, Pride is not in country. Pride is not in, uh, in the team like the Texas Rangers. Pride isn't in baseball. Pride isn't in being a Texan. No, it's a pride night on being proud that your sexuality 
is uh, uh, how you identify yourself. Yeah. And it's the strangest thing in the world. I mean, we've said it a thousand times in this program. Most of what the LBGT community wants privately, I don't care. I mean, I just have no interest, do not care. You want to be homosexual, go for it. You want to be bisexual, go for it. You want to be a lesbian, go for it. God doesn't care, I don't care. Um, but when you try to make it a source of pride as if it was better to be uh, um, in the um, vast minority, as if it was better to live a lifestyle that, well, no society has ever been able to function if the majority of people were to move into that lifestyle. Uh, if it is a source of pride for you that you are, that this is how you identify yourself, then, then that's a problem. And if, you, if you're so insecure that you have to challenge and attack organizations that don't yep. agree that they should have pride nights, then we have a, a serious problem. You know, Bud uh, Weiser and Heiser Bush decided that they were going to identify Bud Light with a, um, uh, a uh, uh, not transvestite, but uh, transgender individual uh, uh, and a man that used to be a woman. And I... Uh, Devastated. I mean, their, their, their sales have uh, are falling at an average of 20% per week, um, a fraction of what they, they once were. And the, the parent company still doesn't get the, uh, the why they're in such a pickle. Uh, so, you know, stores like um, Target, which is extremely liberal, uh, decided maybe we ought to take our Pride Month stuff out because we can't function. We go bankrupt if what happened to Budweiser, Bud Light, happens to us. Um, so just this week, um, the Starbucks uh, had employees that were putting up pride, you know, memorabilia and, uh, and all sorts of things that were pride-oriented in the coffee shops. Now, you want to put pride memorabilia up in your home, in your car? That's your business. It isn't your business. You're being paid to serve coffee to do it in a Starbucks. And so management policy is, you know, we, this is not a political institution. It's a, it's a business to serve coffee, make people feel comfortable, not uncomfortable. So they told them to take it down. So now uh, uh, the majority of the unions that are associated with Starbucks, mind you, you'd have to have a union to make a cup of coffee um, are striking because they're offended that the company isn't uh, allowing them to politicize their job site and not smart enough to recognize what happened the last time that somebody tried to, uh, to do this sort of thing. Uh, there's a big uh, hubbub on uh, online now about um, the most vocal conspiracy theories and theorists on things like uh, vaccines. Now, um, Dr. Jeff and I have done a, a, a reasonably a deep dive on the history of the um, uh, 
various vaccines that have been uh, made around the world, particularly the mRNA uh, vaccines uh, like Pfizer's uh, vaccine. And the uh, negative consequences are in the range of 1 in uh, 1,000 to between 1 in 1,000 and 1 in 2,000, uh, which is exceedingly low, particularly for a vaccine that didn't have uh, much time for uh, for testing. Uh, and, and so while the vaccine became ineffective, the virus uh, outfoxed it um, uh, tremendously uh, over time. Uh, you know, initially when we were dealing with Delta and Delta as a contributor as uh, to comorbidities uh, was uh, fairly lethal. Um, there's no doubt that this uh, vaccine took the edge off of it and uh, and stopped the spread of, uh, of the Delta variation and probably saved, oh, maybe 10, 15 million lives around the world. Um, it helped me yet, when I got it. Notice, yeah. Notably. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I took, I was still vaccinated and we avoided Delta. Um, when, when the coronavirus mutated and, and uh, we went into the variations of Omicron, all bets were off because it was way too different than the, the vaccine. It didn't protect, but you know, the, the nice thing, there is a nice thing, but the nice thing about uh, viruses is they mutate to become more contagious and less deadly. Uh, they can't live outside of a host. They don't want to kill the host. They, they, uh, and so they become less uh, deadly and, uh, and more contagious. And so after a while, you just figured out you're going to, you're going to get it, uh, and you're going to get it as long as it continues to, uh, to mutate through the population. Uh, uh, D, you and your family had it last week. Uh, I had it about uh, two months yeah. ago. Um, um, a lot of my uh, people that are working here in the house had it uh, last week. And it's kind of a, uh, a real debilitating version of it in the sense of you're down for a week and, and, uh, and, and really can't function. But anyway, the, the reason I bring this up is that uh-huh. one of the uh, scientists uh, was asked to hold a debate with one of the more aggressive uh, conspiracy theorists. And his response I thought was uh, very um, appropriate. He said, you should never uh, give such people legitimacy. Don't ever equate uh, morality or practicality or true science with uh, quackery. Uh, this is a pre- professor of microbiology and immunology at, uh, at uh, Cornell. He says, just by appearing with these people, you give them stature that implies that they are equivalent, and they are not. Yeah, worth no. Uh, so I thought that was actually a, a, a brilliant retort uh, to why you don't uh, debate conspiracy theorists. Uh, it is yeah. uh, you, you give them a sense of legitimacy that they would not uh, otherwise uh, have, and, and that's uh, exceedingly counterproductive. All right, Kirk, Kirk uh, I, I know I sent you a, a copy of, uh, of this. You've had a chance to, uh, to study it a bit, but I, I'm going to read what I wrote um, about this because I think it is, um, uh, is about as succinct as I can say it, and then yes. we'll have a, a, a discussion. Um, okay. And... I, 
what we're talking about here is uh, um, Paleo-Hebrew. Uh, a year ago at this time, uh, well, let me just read what I, I wrote because it'll cover all of it. With regard to the ancient script depicted um, uh, throughout the Yadayawa series, sometimes called early Semitic, sometimes called proto-Synatic, <clears throat> sometimes even called Moabite stone because it appears on the Moabite steel dating to about 850 BCE. Uh, the timing of uh, this rewrite that I did of the chapter in which my charts uh, appeal, uh, appear in an introduction to God was fortuitous because we now have extant evidence of the use of the this ancient script in the form of a lead tablet dating to the late Bronze Age. Late Bronze Age II, 1400 to 1300 BCE. Dee, you are the timeline queen. What was the end of the Exodus? When did the children of Israel enter the Promised Land? Uh, it was 40 years after 1447, so 14. 1887, if my math is correct. 1407 uh, BCE. 1407. Oh, yeah, I went backwards. This, yeah. this date is 1400 <laughs> uh, BCE. We have ri uh, writing using this form of lettering. More than just proving the existence of the Hebrew alphabet, this tablet's age, location which it was found, the message which was written on it, are all consistent with something Moshe said to the children of Israel in Debarim, Deuteronomy 11, 26-32. Uh, the essence of that was when you enter the promised land, uh, you're going to cross the Jordan, and when you cross the Jordan, there's going to be two mountains. And what we want you to do is to split, Yahweh wants you to do, split between the two mountains and emphasize the importance of this lesson that if you listen to and act upon the instructions and guidance of Yahweh, you will be blessed. And if you choose to ignore the instructions and directions of Yahweh, you will be cursed. Uh, Mount Ebal was the uh, mountain where those who were to yell back, if we ignore the instructions and guidance of Yahweh, we will be cursed. This story then is repeated as it actually plays out uh, in uh, I, the book of Yahshua, uh, confirmed by Yahshua ben Nun and Yahshua Joshua 8, 30 through 35. And the parallels are unmistakable. The world first became aware of this lead tablet on Thursday, March 24th, 2022 when archaeologists led by Dr. Scott Stripling, and by the way, we covered it that next day mm -hmm. on Friday. Scott yes. uh, Stripling uh, and his team of scholars from the Associates for Biblical Research held a videotaped press conference at the Lanier Theological Library in Houston, and they announced a discovery of enormous consequence. Should our findings be proven accurate through the publication of a peer-reviewed scientific journal article, 
the discovery of the lead tablet from the altar atop Mount Ebal, dating to the time of Joshua, when the children of Israel first entered the Promised Land, will ultimately rival the importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Should they demonstrate the existence of the ancient Hebrew script, which is that pictographic script, inside the folded tablet, it will not only offer an amazing validation of the earliest phonetic alphabet and an irrefutable affirmation of the entry into the promised land at the conclusion of the Exodus, it will validate something foundational to the Torah while also obliterating the arrogant and ungodly theories suggesting that the Torah was written by a committee comprised of the Jawist, the Eloist, the Deuteronomist, and the priestly sources between 950 and 450 BCE, as opposed to by Moshe, between 1448 and 1408 BCE. Those scholastic theories will be destroyed since they were based largely upon the refuted notion that written Hebrew did not exist at the time. After watching the ABR news conference and then reading several articles written about it, I recall presenting the findings during the next episode of Yada Yada Radio. But very careful at that time to note that they had not yet proven their case through a peer-reviewed reviewed scientific publication. The implications were enormous because they validate much of what I had written throughout the 30 volumes of Yadayawa about the ancient script and they would invalidate, of course, these scientific, excuse me, the scholastic theories opposing them. And there was every reason to collude that uh, Dr. Stripling's assessments were accurate. The altar atop Mount Ebal was built exactly where, how, and when the Torah proclaims. The message conveyed in the tablet matches that that the Torah said would be proclaimed in this very time and place. Everything was consistent affirming the same story from the same style of letters matching what was expected, the vocabulary used, the message conveyed, the paleography dating to the correct period, the age of the very lead of which that tablet was comprised, the location of the mine in which it came out of and the date that mine operated, the age, location, and nature of the site in which it was unearthed, the accompanying pottery shards, there were even two scarab seals, both assigned to the reign of Tutmos III, who reigned from 479 to 425 BCE. Considering all of this, the likelihood of authenticity was astronomically high. Then on the 12th of May, 
2023, about a month ago. And I mentioned it on this show immediately after the publication, but I've had a chance now to incorporate it into an introduction to God. So as I was proceeding with the edits, the Heritage Science Journal published the peer-reviewed article, You Are Cursed by God, Yahweh, an early Hebrew inscription from Mount Ebal, by Scott Stripling, along with five co-authors. Their abstract reads, In December 2019, an expedition on Mount to examine the discarded material from Adam Zertal's 1982-1989 to excavation yielded a small folded lead tablet. The east dump pile from which the object emerged contained the discarded matrix from two structures that he interpreted as altars to the late Bronze Age II and Iron Age I. The earlier and smaller round altar underneath the geometric center of the latter and larger rectangular altar. The tablet could not be opened without damaging it. A team of scientists performed X-ray tomographic measurements with different scanning parameters. The tomographically reconstructed data were subjected to advanced processing to reveal the hidden text. Epigraphic analysis of the tomographic data revealed a formulistic curse written in the proto-alphabetic uh, script likely dating to the late Bronze Age II, 1400 BCE. The inscription falls within the literary genre of the chaotic parallelism. When you read Hebrew poetry, it's not rhyme or rhythm, but parallel thoughts, and that's how it was written. And it predates any previously known Hebrew inscription in Israel by at least 200 years, and the number is actually 500 years. A tomographic scanner with adjustable geometry was used to x-ray the interior of the tablet. A VG software was deployed for uh, XCT three-dimensional reconstruction along a VG Studio Max to suppress the scattering of X-ray photons. Digital photogrammetry contributed to revealing the letters and resulting text. This wasn't Kirk saying, I think it feels like an, an LF. Collectively, they exposed 48 Hebrew letters. Now, this is on a one-inch by one-inch uh, piece of lead strip that was folded into the center of this tablet. 48 Hebrew letters comprising 14 words in three parallel sentences. There are nine distinctive ram's head renderings of the ancient LF. There are four presentations of the man standing and reaching up, which comprise the letter Hay, and they are drawn with great care and are readily identified. The ancient wall, which was based upon the shape of a tent peg, is seen eight times, and it's actually more sophisticated 
than the drawings that we have used previously because that actually shows a ring at the top, which would have been ideal to secure the lines, the ropes that are necessary mm -hmm. to yes. hold the tent. A yode was drawn in the form of an outstretched hand, uh, arm and hand. It appears twice. The shepherd's draft com uh, comprising the lamed was written three times, not as clear as the other letters. The Hebrew mim, drawn as waves on water, is they're unmistakable in their three presentations. Very geometric, perfectly uh, pressed into this lead. The most prevalent letter inside the tablet is a roche, drawn in the shape of a human head sitting on top of a neck. It appears 12 times. The resulting inscription, in addition to repeating that we're going to be cursed if we don't listen to Yahweh, affirms that Yahweh is God. Mm -hmm. The published article, you can find it if, uh, uh, if you uh, Google Heritage Science Journal. If you just uh, Google uh, lead tablet Mount uh, Ebel, you will find it as well. It's marvelously affirming of the claims we have made throughout these volumes. Simultaneously, it is devastating to those who have promoted the JEDP documentary hypothesis of the Taurus creation and development. We can now be assured that the alphabet used to describe the, uh, the original autograph of the Torah is the one that we have depicted in this, uh, this pict pictographic uh, phonetic alphabet. It's the one that Yahweh used to engrave the two tablets of stone. It's the one that we show on the charts within these volumes. And this is important because the graphic depictions of the letters tell a story. And they help define the words in which they appear. So that's what I wrote of it uh, as I was trying to explain it. And uh, Kirk, uh, this has been your mm -hmm. passion since you uh, began. And I sent you not only the article, but the definite links, because what they do is they take each letter and they show the, uh, the reconstruction of that letter inside and, uh, and then a graphic depiction of it to the right of it. And so you have a way of looking at every one of these 14 letters. Any chance they're not yeah. Paleo-Hebrew? No. no, it's this. It's, it most definitely is. It's the, uh, I call the Paleo-Hebrew is, is two, Indian, two, two versions. The second evolution of Paleo-Hebrew is, of course, the one that you see all the time. Uh, there's a lot of evidence of that one. Some of those are, are, are very similar to these as well. But the, the one that we use, the more ancient of the two, uh, those are all found. They're all pretty much all found here. But like you say, the, the wall... I hate to give up the old wa, you know, because it is such a pretty one. If you picture it in his name with the hands, uh, the increase with the hands reaching up to the mother and father. Well, no, I thought the wa is so the tent peg. It means increase, uh, but it's not but it's, yeah. You're, you're, you're confusing two letters. you got the wa and the yod. The, uh, the wa is uh, increase, but it's the tent peg. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I beg your pardon. I misspoke. Uh, but, yeah, so that's um, – other than that, they, it was amazing how many of them are, are so close. And even the, even the, uh, the yard is reaching, it's still an arm reaching down with an open hand. 
So symbolically, it doesn't change anything there. Uh, the You have to remember, and we talked about this just for a couple of minutes before the show, that anything that's, uh, what, two centimeters by two centimeters or a little over an inch uh, wide, um, and you're using, it does point out in the stuff that you sent me that they, the researchers point out that there's two types of styluses being used. Is soft lead is not very big. It is a tiny little thing. And you've got to write these letters in as best as you can. And I thought it was well done. I don't, I've done miniature paintings, and they're hard, much they're less hard. with a brush. Yeah, and you don't, have do a, you don't have a do-over. No, you don't have do-over. <laughs> do do and they didn't, uh, they didn't no. sell glasses at the local drugstore back then. No. You got a good no. And remember, well, I also thought. And you wouldn't have had a metal stylus. The stylus thing that you're using is going to be a piece of wood, chances are. Probably are. Pointed, yeah, you're sharpening yeah. it as best you can. Nice. And, and this and sucker has been buried under this rubble pile for 3,400 years. Yeah. Duly noted. And built on top of. Yeah, and mm-hmm. when, you see, when you look at the wall, which I just thought was so amazing, because the wall is the most efficient-looking letter in our chart. Yeah, it just, uh, we, we call it a 10-peg, okay, so it's a stake. It's got a little something at the top of it, and you look at it, it's a yeah, stake. Yeah. You know, okay, it's a stick. It's a stake. But the wall yeah. on this tablet was really distinctive. It looks like mm-hmm. a modern 10-peg. That would have mm-hmm. the that has the loop at the top for your line, yeah. the rope, the fast. It's yeah, so much better to find. And you would think, okay, when you're looking at these ancient letters and you see all of the strokes necessary to make the hay. I mean, for the hay, you've got to have the two legs that are at, at one spot. You have to have the, the body. You have to have the uh, the two arms that are going up at the opposite diagonal, and then you have to draw a neck and a head. I mean. That's a lot of work for one letter. Yeah. And yet the Hayes, all three of them, were exactly that. They didn't chintz at all. As a matter of fact, it almost looked like they tried to put hands on top of the uh, of the raised yeah. up hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the hay is really Two distinctive. Of them actually. Yeah. yeah. And now remember, this is a- the Sorry. size of these letters. The mem, the the waves on the water. They're geometric. They're crisp. It's clean. Yeah, I saw how crisp they are, like very definitive. Yes. And the thing well, that was gratifying to me is that with all of the numbskulls out there that called the Aleph an ox head, when an ox head would be rectangular, uh, and uh, a, uh, a, uh, a lamb's head, a ram's head, is going to be triangular, the, the Alephs were exceedingly distinct. They, uh, they were yeah. triangular very- in shape. And they had horns. I mean, it. Yeah. There's no question that th- those were LFs. Well, yeah. And on top of all that, the different... these letters yeah. comprise 14 words in uh, in three sentences. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. Speaking about it, something it, that the Torah said was going to happen in this place at that time, in exactly that way. It, Pretty freaky, huh? It to, for it not to be real, with all of that, well, it's now it's it's proven it's real. But when yeah. you know, 
I'm a common denominator guy. That's why when uh, when the coronavirus came out and and uh, and it came out in Wunan where they had the the lab doing the gain of function research on the exact same blend of of three uh, 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 viruses uh, like this, and that they had a lab accident, and you're saying it's a result of the lab accident because well that's the common denominator in everything. Uh, and, you know, everybody said, oh, no, it can't be. It's a Panaguin. It's a wet market. It's a this, it's a that. And you're saying, come on, folks. All of the oh, evidence and the common denominator is that lab. And, uh, and everybody wanted to deny it because, of course, uh, um, the United States was funding the work in that the lab. And, uh, and the idiot that was uh, orchestrating the stupid response to, uh, to COVID was the signatory on, uh, on those grants. Uh, but this is, this is that same thing, but on steroids. Yeah. When you have every single element being precise and being uh, exactly what was supposed to happen there then at that time in that script on that age of lead, conveying that message in that place, there is a zero possibility that it isn't genuine. And so it uh, uh, validates the uh, the entry into the promised land, validates where they entered, it validates the whole Torah story uh, about it, validates Yahweh's name, it validates the uh, existence of written Hebrew, uh, particularly as the first phonetic uh, alphabet. Um I like that it gives us a clue as to which pharaoh was involved. I need need to ask y'all both a question. It struck me as like overwhelming fine. Yeah, I encourage uh, everyone to to read it. Uh, I just have uh, two other items in the news, and we'll go back uh, to our story. One is that after sending his uh, Secretary of State, Vilken, uh, into China to try to uh, reset American relations because they're at an all-time low, uh, China's uh, working to undermine, uh, effectively working to undermine the United States around the world and is much more effective um, around the world now than the United States is. Um, and, they, uh, and they said, okay, we're, we're going to try to communicate a little better. That next day, our uh, idiot in chief comes out and and, uh, and likens Z uh, to a dictator. Uh, now, you and I can say, yeah, you know, he's a communist. Uh, the Communist Party is, is while well, he's elected among the communists, uh, the communists represent such a small group of uh, group, and they they only nominate one person. So, uh, you know, yeah, okay, so he's a dictator. You don't say that. If you're begging for better relations, <laughs> how in the world can the man be that stupid? And then he comes out the next day and say, yeah, I, uh, I am convinced that, uh, that Russia uh, and Putin are on the, uh, the cusp of using uh, nuclear weapons. It's, uh, it's a very real threat. Uh, and we are, um, are very concerned about the threat of Russia using nuclear weapons. This was right after... Putin, and you should, uh, I would recommend everyone do this. Check out that interview. Putin looks into the camera 
and uh, and says, uh, do not think for a moment that I'm not going to use these. Uh, at this point, based upon everything America and the West have done to try to destroy Russia by using the Ukraine as a proxy, we are very close to having no alternative. And you need to know that when that time comes and we're faced with the preservation of our nation against American aggression through the Ukraine, we will use nuclear weapons. Uh, my wife is, uh, is a bit of an expert on facial tell- tells and uh, the whole uh, ability to determine whether or not somebody is telling the truth as they're going through these kinds of things. Her assessment was the same as mine. He is absolutely telling you the truth. It is exactly what we said was going to happen. In fact, it is inevitable. That is where that war is going to lead. All right, boys and girls, would you uh, have anything else to add to this before we go into the uh, back to the 89th Mismore? Uh, can I ask one question of you, you two? Sure. Mm-hmm. Why is it? Why is it that uh, uh, Joshua Ben Nun didn't know that you couldn't say Yahweh if all those <laughs> claims are true? Uh, funny. Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, he was the yeah. protege of Moshe. I think yeah. uh, Moshe would have told him and said, for God's sake, man, don't say Yahweh. Don't, yeah, don't say Yahweh. Yeah. So. I want you to have such respect for the name. It's so sacred don't even. That, that you <laughs> need to be calling him Hashem. <laughs> and he said, okay, so uh, why are there like uh, 5,000 Yahwehs in the Torah? Uh, well, you know, don't uh, do what I say, not what I do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not the real Torah. The other one, you know, we got the other one. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. All right, all right. So yeah, yeah, the yeah. difference between the written the Torah and the oral Torah is there's no Yahweh's in the oral Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What did Yahweh say in the written Torah is the best way to tell whether or not something is from him or not? Uh, doesn't he begin by saying that his name's going to be in it? Yeah. Mm. There you go. Huh. Good question. <laughs> All right, so Yahweh made it possible for Dod to serve as the Pesach Eel. He then fulfilled Matzah en route to Bakurim and Shabuah in year 4000 Yah, which is 33 CE, thereby facilitating the benefits of the covenant. He would enable Israelites to uh, immortalize and perfect their souls enriching and empowering covenant members in the process. And because he has done this, we have become the living expression of Teruah. That's the fifth Mikre. I was approached by Yahweh on Teruah in 2001. And my life, and now the lives of many of those who are part of the covenant family as a result of this research have been consumed by professing the purpose of Teruah, uh, consumed in the most positive possible way. 
exceedingly devoted to it, where we are living for the opportunity to be Yahweh's and Dode's heralds, proclaiming the news of their return on Kippurim. Um, in 2033, which is 6,000, yeah. And so as Dode's heralds, as the voice calling out, calling people to Yahweh's and Dode's Kippurim, Day of Reconciliation's return, um, Mismore 89.15, it's very close to home. Delighted to show the way, because blessed. Ashri, happy to reveal the proper path to the relationship, treated favorably from Asher, enjoying the benefits of the relationship by having shown the steps to walk to get the most out of life, and Annie, which is first-person expression, me. This first word is rather important. It happened to be the first word that Dode wrote in his first psalm. It is also the first word that I translated 22 years ago that began all of this. Delighted to show the way because blessed. Ha'am are the people, the family, who are aware of and acknowledge Yada, Teruah. Trumpets, the fifth of seven micrae, the time to expose corruption while sharing the truth, crying out in alarm and shouting for joy, blowing the shofar to announce the upcoming harvest of souls and Dode's return. Who walk a lock with the light into your presence, Yahweh. Ba'or pane ata. We uh, spent um, an entire program on uh, Mismore 89.3, uh, maybe even better part of two. Mismore Psalms 89.15 is, uh, you know, you have a business card, you have a resume. It's my resume. Mm-hmm. My business card. This is what it says. Good uh, is uh, responsible for uh, doing the best he can on Teruah. Um, see Mismore 89.15. This is our calling. This is who we are. It's brought to us by Ashri, which is the first word Dode wrote and the first word I translated. It has in the midst of it Am, which is the word for family, as in the covenant family. The verb is yada, is the name that we chose to write under for the first dozen years. But beyond that, it's the verb that serves as the uh, title of all 30 of the series of books, Yada Yawa. And now this is Yada Teruah. Teruah is the uh, Moed Mikre that is the least heralded. And yet, 
Miss Gray, that speaks of heralding. Jews don't even know it exists. If you were to tell uh, a thousand Jews, uh, we are celebrating the Moed Mikra of, our Mikra, singular, the Moed Mikra of Teruah, they would look at your crosswise. Mm-hmm. Because they've completely replaced it. It doesn't even exist in rabbinic uh, literature. For them, it, this date is Rosh Hashanah. It's the first day of their high holy days. Well, Rosh means first. Shana means year. And so Rosh Hashanah is the celebration of the new year. Now, Yahweh says the new year begins on Abib 1. That's the first month. Mm-hmm. This is the seventh month. First day of the seventh month. Guess who started their new year on the first day of the seventh month? The Babylonians. Rosh Hashanah is a Babylonian holiday. Where did the beast emerge that became the beast of what was first? Babylon? Persia became the beast of uh, of. Greece became the beast of Imperial Rome, became the beast of the Roman Catholic Church. The beast begins in Babel, means to confuse. Rosh Hashanah is Babylonian. And so this is the day that uh, not a single religious Jew knows, and nor do the secular Jews even know it. And yet it is the day that underpins everything we have done for 22 years. It means to herald the message. Delighted to show the way because blessed are the family members who are aware of and acknowledge, who know and understand Yada Teruah, and who walk, who choose to live continually traveling and exploring, moving about with the light of your presence, Yahweh. Or is the uh, is probably the most inadequately understood concept in association with Yada. Excuse me, with Yahweh. Hopefully one day mm-hmm. with Yada, but Certainly with Yahweh. Uh, and it is there that name that uh, shall not be spoken at the bottom of this, too. So uh, this uh, psalmist uh, uh, who was laying the cornerstone of Yahweh's home didn't get that message either. Hmm. Light is essential for numerous reasons. One is it's how the universe began. Let there be light. Before there was life, before there was matter, before there was a universe, Yahweh said, let there be light. Light came from Yahweh. Yahweh equates himself to light. Where there is light, there is no darkness. Light isn't the opposite of darkness. It eliminates darkness. Light is the best example of a 
uh, of being released in time, of being liberated in time. Because on a photon of light, all time exists. If we could become like a photon of light, we would be able to experience the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. Light explains how Yahweh is able to witness our future and our past and to report to us what our choices will lead to and our future in our past and have it written down so that when those things come true as he has seen them, not predicted them, has actually witnessed them, we have absolute proof that he exists outside of the constraints of time and therefore can be trusted as can his witness. Light is the essence of prophecy, past, present, and future. It's the essence of life, the essence of creation. It is the closest thing to Yahweh. It is eternal. It is the universal constant. Light is also relative in the sense that that as it defines time, uh, Einstein showed that if two photons of light come at each other at light speed, that the closing um, rate is not twice the speed of light, but instead the speed of light. And what he explained is that time is therefore relative to the... um, the place where it is viewed. So that, Mm -hmm. for example, if you were on a photon of light, time would not move. But if you were watching that photon of uh, light, time would move at a rate that was determined by how big, uh, how large the mass was around you of matter, or how fast you were moving, or how much energy existed in your presence. The more energy, the more mass, the more time slows. You know, time moves much more quickly on Earth than it does on our satellites that are traveling very fast. Time moves much more swiftly on Earth than it does on the sun. And because at the time of the Big Bang, you had the most possible amount of of energy and velocity as well, time Mm -hmm. slowed, and we can actually measure how much it slowed because of the microwave background uh, radiation that can still be heard and measured from the Big Bang, which is a term, by the way, that Yahweh uses in his Babrashith account. And so we know that relative to a clock on Earth, the time slowed by 10 to the 12th power. If you divide 14 billion years measured here on Earth, by 10 to the 12th power, what do you get? Uh, so. Six 24-hour days. So six 24-hour days of creation happens to be exactly oh, the yes, same. Of course. It's 14 billion years. 
when uh, compared to the relative positions of Earth, which didn't even exist at the time, and being at the point of creation. All of that is conveyed by light, which is Yahweh's nature. Light tells us what's going to happen to us when we are fully Shabuad, when we are enriched and empowered by God, enlightened by him, because we become immortal and perfect as we are transformed from a physical being to an energy-based being akin to light. So that's the message that we're conveying. That is how we are announcing that if you celebrate as a family and are aware of and understand Teruah, that you get to travel into Yahweh's presence as light. And while that's a powerful message, consider the fact that this was written 3,000 years ago. And over that 3,000 years, no one prior to what we are doing here has been able to explain this. It said, this is what this means. It is being fulfilled in your listening. It is who we are. It is the mission that we were given. So here in the midst of Dode's song, and the single most powerful prophecy ever given. This song that, that where Yahweh expresses all of the accolades and achievements of his son, the Messiah, and King, Savior, Dode. He has an announcement that explains how that message is going to be voiced and heralded so that it reaches his people at the right time so that a remnant will return to Yahweh when he returns on Yom Kippurim, which is the next Moed Mikre after this, which is why we're heralding this message now so that it will be observed and celebrated on Yom Kippurim when Yahweh and Dod return to reconcile the relationship with Israel. It's powerful. It is. Yes. Yeah, one of the most extraordinary uh, presentations in the most extraordinary uh, prophecy in Psalm. This is who we are. It is what we do. It is what we know. And the more we learn as Teruah's troubadours, the more we realize that we are not only following in Dode's footsteps as he fulfilled the first four Moedim, but we are also announcing his return on Koporam. And this is what we experience, especially when we are enlightened by Dode's Mizmor, many of which serve as the ultimate expression of Teruah. This is what we learn from the lyrics and the life of Yahweh's Chosen. It is through the lens of Teruah that we come to appreciate 
the balance shown in his writings between blasting lies and liars and trumpeting the truth, both of which are needed when the mission is to lead Yehudim out of Babylon, away from Rosh Hashanah, and to Yom Kippurim. And not Yom Kippurim as religious Jews celebrated as a day to afflict and harass and deprive one's soul to twirl defenseless chickens over your head. No. not what Kippurim means. To Kippur is to reconcile. It's to resolve the relationship. Kippurim is the ultimate family reunion. The happiest day on the calendar. <laughs> not the saddest. Absolutely. So over the course of the past 22 years, there have been well, a whole host of goosebump moments for us, times where we have found ourselves reveling in what we learned. And I, I can tell you, for those of us who are devoted to serving Yahweh and his people in this way, this is one of them. It affirms that we're delighted to reveal the proper path which leads to the covenant, which leads to Yahweh, which causes us to be transformed into light. We thrive on the realization that Teruah precedes reconciliations. We understand the value of Yada, of knowing, especially what it's like to walk Ba or Pane with the light into the presence of Yahweh. Everything that we have written and spoken these past 22 years is an expression of Teruah as we have striven to celebrate its purpose. We have sought to shout out a warning boldly, bluntly, clearly, loudly, telling all who would listen that their religious and political affiliations put them in conflict with God. At the same time, we have as accurately and completely as are possible shared what Yahweh has to say about himself, explaining what he is offering and what he expects in return. This is the essence of Teruah, the very reason we are called to celebrate it on the first day of the seventh month each year. And let us not lose sight of the fact that it was because of Asher and to Samuel 7 that we came to Yada know all of this. The one word led to all of the words that were written thereafter. This is the Halak path that we walked with the ore light that we were given into the very presence of Yahweh. Mizmore 89.15 has transitioned from comparing Yahweh to Dod to celebrating our calling and purpose. One has led to another. Since Yahweh has heightened our awareness of Teruah and since we have come to appreciate what it represents and our role in it, let's see if we can yeah, come up to a little 
closer uh, determination of its timing. Now, if you recall, towards the conclusion of um, Volume 2 of Observations, and it may be a long time since anyone who's listening to this has read that, but nonetheless, we came to realize that Teruah would be fulfilled after Yisrael is thinned at the waist. See, the Book of Observations begins by beginning with uh, the Mashal Proverbs uh, and then yeah. goes through the first 20-some uh, chapters of, uh, of Yashaya Isaiah. And it follows uh, what God has to say. And, and you find that in the, the 17th and 18th chapters of, uh, of Yashaya, that uh, during the time of Jacob's troubles, that Israel will be thinned at the waist. And that after that treaty is, um, is affirmed with many nations, where uh, effectively Israel is forced to accept the two-state solution, uh, uh, which will be her undoing, um, uh, that is when the Teruah harvest uh, occurs. And it can occur any time between 2027 at the earliest to, I think, 2029 at the uh, latest. And I think it's the later date because the two witnesses um, will return after there's a period where Yahweh's spirit is, is not heard on earth. And so there is a period of about six months when there is radio silence from, uh, from God. And then Elia and uh, the second witness, uh, in all likelihood, Yada, uh, will arrive on Pesach in uh, 2030. And so the hope is that the Teruah harvest, sorry for those of you who want to get out of uh, Dodge uh, sooner <laughs> rather than later, uh, will be on uh, 2029, uh, which gives us the, uh, the maximum opportunity to share this message with the most Yehudim and Goyim, absolutely possible. Yeah. We have all of eternity to celebrate our reunion and our, uh, our being transformed into light, into Yahweh's presence, but we don't have all eternity to awaken Yisrael to come back home. We only have a decade left. Yeah. Uh, I think it is just... Um, Looking for uh, for likelihoods. It's my whole brain works on making these kind of connections where you say, okay, why is this here? And when you think that this is um, this whole song exists to tell all who would listen that Doe David is the Son of God, that Doe David is the Messiah, that he is the returning king of Sukkah, of Yisrael, of the universe. That he is Yahweh's chosen. That he is God's firstborn. That he is our savior. That when he returns, he will be Elion, essentially God. As we all will be as God's sons and daughters. But he more than the rest of us. It exists to convey all of that and of God's great love for his son. And then Yahweh said, don't even think the stupidity of replacement theology like that I am 
saying all of this about Dode, my son, the Messiah, the King, the Savior, and that it's somehow somebody else. Because if you right. say that, you're making me out to be a liar. Don't do that. In the midst of what is the cornerstone of Yahweh's family home that was revealed in your 3000 Yah, to have this interlude that said that really the great blessing is those who come to know and understand and acknowledge the purpose of Teruah. And that as a result, they travel into the very light of Yahweh. There's only one reason to take a, a, a step away from acknowledging who Dode is and his relationship with Yahweh to make this statement about other people. And because the reason is we are the first people in 3,000 years to explain what this means. To explain the 89th Mismore the way it was intended. To call people, Yahweh's people, home to their Messiah, to their King, to Yahweh's Son, their Savior. That is why this is here. And there is no other explanation for it. Interesting enough, we were afforded another clue rather relative to the timing of Teruah, because Teruah ultimately is a harvest as well. Mm-hmm. And that's in Mismore 90. This song was composed by Moshe, who uh, last time I checked had reasonable credentials as it relates to uh, speaking for Yahweh. He also didn't get the memo on Yahweh's name. It begins... Yeah, well, uh, he's old. Yeah, he was old. Yeah, he was old at the time. Uh, Give him him a pass. Yahweh being the dwelling place for his people for all generations. In it, he quotes God saying, Return and come back, children of men. This is followed by, indeed, our days have the appearance of your frustration. Boy, did he experience a lot of that. Mm-hmm. We uh, spend our time muttering, uh, and worse. Uh, the days of our years are 70, and then by reason of strength become 80, for it is soon past and we fly away. Who knows the extent of your frustration? and respects your passion. So teach us to number and weigh our days so that we may derive wisdom by executing good judgment. Return, Yahweh, and let us breathe in relief. Mismore, Psalm 90, beginning uh, around uh, Statement 9 and running through 13. Coming home, which seeks to call all Yisrael and Yahuda out of Babylon and back to Yahweh, Dod, and Jerusalem, began by pronouncing the third coming exactly 70 years after the nation of Yisrael was restored. 
making it possible. This was followed by how will you respond, being right to dode or not to dode, and then respecting Yahweh's name. Whether or not I am the choder, I think it's pretty obvious that there aren't any other candidates. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, from the original root of the, uh, uh, of the olive tree that was once doed, or the nacri, uh, observant foreigner. And whether these words comprise Yahweh's Nesh banner that he promised to raise for his people, or if I remain an uh, anonymous means to awaken another goy, such that it will be written by him, we will continue at least until 2028, 80 years after Yisrael's rebirth, and just prior to the commencement of the worst of Jacob's troubles. We know these things because that's what we were told in Mismore 90. For those who may be interested, in 2027, the new year begins on Thursday, April 8th at sunset, such that Teruah begins at sundown on Friday, October 1st, and concludes prior to sunset on Saturday, October 2nd. The following year, uh, 2028, Teruah will be celebrated beginning on Wednesday, September 30th, and it will conclude the following afternoon. And in 2029, Teruah commences at sundown, first day of the week, September 9th. If on this date, then six months later, on Tuesday, April 16th, 2030, the witnesses will arrive on Pesach. If it were not for this fact that we will be given everything we need and want, I would encourage Covenant members to pack their bags. We rejoice because there is vindication in getting Yahweh's name right. I, uh, I, could, um, I could end the program and saying uh, uh, this program was brought to you by 8915, but that might be uh, somewhat indulgent. But it, it isn't in a way, you know, I, I want to make no. this part clear that, um, yes, that statement was written because of this mission that we've been assigned. We are the living embodiment of it. We are the fulfillment of it. We are not doing this for ourselves. We get great joy and great benefit out of it. But I work 10, 12, 14 hours a day, six and seven days a week, as do other members of this team to share what we are learning with Yisrael, with Yahudim, and with Goyim the world over. We're already in the covenant. God couldn't keep us out of Shamaim, the no, spiritual the deal's realm, the deal. even if he wanted to, and he doesn't want to because he enjoys our company. Oh. Yeah, I'm going. We're already there. <laughs> our ticket is punched. We're not doing this for ourselves. You don't get, you know, like uh, uh, an extra galaxy yeah, under your domain if, uh, you know, if uh, somebody uh, accepts the covenant because you were a really good, uh, you know, covenant pres- presenter. Mm-hmm. You just don't. That's mm-hmm. not the way it works. Uh, we do this because Yahweh wants it done. Mm-hmm. 
We like pleasing our Father. There's, there's a joy in pleasing our Father. We do this because we love the work. Yes. We do this because Yahweh is returning on Kippurim with Dode in year 6,000 Yah, which is October 2nd, 622 p.m. in Jerusalem as the sun sets, October 2nd, 2033. And... We don't want our father heartbroken that there's no one there to greet him. Yep. And we want eternity, eternity to be enriched for our father, for his son, and for the rest of us. The more like-minded people who are inquisitive, who are open-minded, who love evidence and reason, who come to know and love Yahweh, appreciate what Dode, his son, has done for us. The more of us that there are like that to explore eternity, the more fun more it's fun. going to be. Sure. So we want our father happy. Yeah. I, I'm telling you there's some motivation, too, is I'd rather please him than disappoint him. Right. We would all rather do that. We love him. And so we do this for him. We do this for his son. His son deserves better. He's been denied by his people. He has been completely rejected by uh, Goyim as they robbed him to create the mythical misnomer named Jesus. Dode deserves better. Yahweh deserves our love and respect. And there's such a wonderful reward for the remnant of Yisrael and Yahudim yeah. who heed this Teruah voice, this heralding of this message, and who decide to embrace Yahweh and come home and celebrate Kippurim with us. So this is an outwardly focused mission. So it may be identifying us, but it's focused on you. In your name, they rejoice every day. And in your justice and vindication by being right, they are lifted on high. Well, that's true. There is never a bad day in translating Yahweh's words and drawing insights from it and sharing his message. Never a bad day. Always wonderful days. No, never. And we rejoice. We celebrate these favorable circumstances. We are enthusiastic. Probably noticed that already. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a little. Yes, point of view, this verb, no. uh, ba, shem, ata, and then rejoice, which is gil, was written in the call imperfect paragogic. Uh, a sense oh, of genuine enthusiasm on an ongoing basis that is genuine, called imperfect paragogic. Every day, Hayom, all the time. And in your sense of right and wrong, speaking of Yahweh, in your ability to vindicate, your ability to validate, just the joy of being right about something that is so vitally important, God. 
It says they are lifted on high. They are raised up. They are esteemed by God. He does. He values his children. God's whole concept is, rather than the numbskull idea that we lift him up in praise, which would be absurd, and it casts God as, uh, as being uh, a narcissist, God's view is, I'm the father, you're the kid, my job is to lift you up. My job is to raise you. It's a whole conversation in Second uh, Samuel uh, 7, where Dode says, I, I need to build a house. I need to build a house for God. I just got to do that. And God says, what are you kidding? I don't want you to build a house for me. My job is to build your house. And in your house, is going to have a wonderful throne. I'm going to bring you back not only once, but twice more. My job is to do this for you. I'm the dad. That's what he's saying here. They're going to be lifted on high. Raised by Yah. The first step we take to knowing Yahweh is to acknowledging and proclaiming his name. We didn't get the message either on the rabbinical memo. Apparently. Uh, it is where the path begins. To be right. And, you know, if you're in Israel, nobody says the name. That has to stop. If you're not among those yes. who knows and uses and proclaims, understands his name, you are not going yeah, to be yeah. among that remnant. Right. It is essential. Okay. It's not optional. Thing is true. Yeah. And it is not hard to know how to pronounce. If you can say Torah, you can pronounce Yahweh. If you know how to pronounce the Hebrew verb that means to be, to exist, yeah. Haya, you can pronounce Yahweh. If you can say Shalom, you can pronounce the only letter that would throw anybody off in Yahweh's name, which is the Wa, that beautiful tent peg with the round hole in it that we saw presented on that lead tablet, Yahweh. No, the O sound in Torah is from a wa. The ah sound at the end of Torah is from the hey. Mm-hmm. No one questions how to pronounce Yisrael, do they? No. no. Jerusalem. Nope. That's from the Y, the Yod. It's not hard to pronounce. It's exceedingly easy to pronounce. To say that it, no one knows how to pronounce it is to be a dunderhead. 22 <laughs> letters in Hebrew. Hebrew. Yes, five of those 22 letters are vowels. Don't be an idiot. Embrace the name. This is a memo from the rabbis you want to ignore. The first steps forward into Yahweh's light are all about pronouncing Yahweh's name. They're all about rejoicing in Yahweh's name. Every day, they're all about recognizing that to be right is to be raised up in Yahweh's company. Indeed, the adornment of their empowerment and fortification is yours. By your acceptance and approval, our brilliantly illuminating horn is lifted up. Our deliverance and protection are from Yahweh. Accordingly, the Kodash, set apart one, of Yisrael is our Malek 
Kang. See how it went from speaking of all the wonderful things about Dode to speaking of those who would herald his arrival to return in to acknowledge that these people, this family, heralding this message, being raised up by Yahweh, who celebrate his name, have something in common. Dode is our king. Yes. We are adorned in Yahweh's light. It empowers us. It fortifies us. We are accepted by Yahweh, brilliantly illuminating that horn that we lifted up, which is the shofar. It is for our deliverance and protection. It is from Yahweh. And therefore, the set-apart one, the Kodesh of Yisrael, Dode, is our Malak king. Mizmor, 89, 18. By the way, Malak in Hebrew is very similar to Malak. And mm-hmm. just as Malak means messenger, uh, Malak mm-hmm. means counselor and advisor. Um, Dode's going to lead with words. Good word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Yahweh always chooses people to work through. So if you're saying, you know, come on, he's God, you're some numbskull on, the, uh, on a blog talk radio program who's written a few books, uh, God can do better than you. Well, uh, no, he can't. No, 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 we can't because all the people that were better were not interested. So I was the, I won this, this, this particular job by default because there was no one else that was willing to say yes. Um, That's just the way it is. Yep. And we, we are all here to invite you to the same reality. We've come to know and love Yahweh. We know what he is offering. We know what he is expecting in return. And the single smartest thing any of us can do, come to know why Yahweh chose Dote. Why he anointed him Masayak. Why he placed his spirit upon him. Why he called this one man my son, my firstborn. Why he caused him to be his prophet. Why he accepted Dode's request to serve as the Passover lamb and to make the sacrifice needed to carry our guilt into Sheol to deposit it there. Why did Yahweh, who you would think as God could do whatever he wanted independently, choose to work with this man to fulfill the seven mm-hmm. Moed Mikre. And why did he choose the other numbskull to announce his return? <laughs> well, the world chose Shaul. You know, the, the Israel wanted Shaul. And God said, well, he's a five-year-old. They, they wanted, yeah, they wanted Shaul. The Christians liked Shaul, too. He became Paul. That's not yeah. a very good choice. Not a good choice. I uh, I think uh, it's a much better choice to agree with Yahweh's choice, which is Dode. But God throughout always works with people. Dode was flawed, but he was passionate. 
Dode was brilliant. He was articulate. And Yawa fell in love with him. So you can say, why us on Teruwa? Well, perhaps we had some of those same characteristics that he saw in Dode. Maybe he saw a passionate rascal willing to invest the time and energy, enthusiasm to call his people home. Maybe he picked that fellow because he wanted to embarrass the Jews that had been so embarrassing to him all of these 3,000 years. But if that guy can figure it out, okay, so I helped him. I gave him seven spirits. Um, so, you know, at uh, 22 years and seven spirits, he ought to be able to figure it out. But nonetheless, he did. And he's explained yeah. it to you. They can, and you don't yeah, have a single rabbi who's figured it out, and not one rabbi is telling you the truth. And this guy is. So maybe it's time you stop listening to all your highfalutin rabbis and telling yourself how wonderful you are and recognize you've missed it. It's a slice of humble pie. Absolutely deserved. Once you've taken a bite of it, it's sweet. And it's Yahweh who's serving it up. Accept it. Celebrate it. Become unpretentious. Open your mind. Consider the reality that your people have denied Yahweh's name for 3,000 years. That you've denied his Torah teaching. You call your Talmud the Torah now. Rather than listening to Yah, you listen to rabbis. Yeah. Time, you change. You don't have much time left. Things are not working out real well for you in case you haven't noticed. And they're about to get much worse. This defiance of Yahweh, this propensity to be religious, this overwhelming zeal to be political, left or right, has put Israel at the crossroads of destruction. And things are going to fall apart very, very quickly. Stop being so stubborn. Stop celebrating Rosh Hashanah. Listen to the voice of Teruah. Toss away that rabbinical memo that said you can't say Yahweh's name. Start there. I would encourage you to read what we're sharing with you right now. This uh, volume uh, will uh, be... uh, may already be published, but it'll be published, if not very, very soon. It's the rewrite of Coming Home, Volume 1. Read it. Try to to validate the translation of these words. Every one of these words in this Mismore was presented within the parenthetical uh, that gives you the ability, if you're reading it online, you can copy and paste it into any Hebrew-English dictionary and validate it for yourself. 
Because if this is what God said about Dote, about us, then you don't have much time to change your attitude and thinking. Throw away the damn Star of David. He doesn't have one. Oh, yeah. That's Barkakpa's Bar star. Start paying attention to what Yahweh said. Toss away that nine light menorah. It's a piece of trash. Yep. Yahweh says seven lights. Start celebrating the Moed Mikre as they were intended. Recognize that it isn't seven days of Passover. It's seven days of Chag Matzah, of which Passover is the first day. The difference is night and day. The difference is life and death. The difference is Shamaim or Sheol. Mm-hmm. Understand who was the firstborn of firstborn children and why he earned that position after fulfilling Pesach and Matzah. And understand where that leads, which is Shabuah, to be enriched and empowered by God so that we can now Teruah and join us. Yeah. Join us. Be part of the rising chorus singing Dode's song. Well, we've gone way past our our open broadcast uh, period. We're still uh, having recorded. Most people listen to the archive, so this may be a good place to uh, end uh, tonight's program um, on one of the most powerful messages we could possibly share, not only in terms of the validation mm-hmm. of the original alphabet that was used to describe the Torah and not only describe the Torah and convey this message that we're communicating to you, but to validate the historicity of the Torah itself, followed by this marvelous insight into the 89th Mismore. Well, Kirk uh, and uh, Dee, uh, I know, Dee, you have company at home. This is a busy uh, time for you. You're just getting over uh, uh, another bout with Corona. And, and Kirk, uh, you you had a pretty horrible bout with your back last week, but you're all better now. And yes. uh, uh, struggling to uh, live through the fog of Carmel. Um, I do want to have... Carmel. Uh, yeah, I do want to have one uh, note here. 22 years ago, when I was called uh, to do what we're doing now on uh, on Teruah in uh, mm-hmm. 2001, there were three promises that Yahweh made on that time because, like your typical idiot, I said, uh, you know, what you're asking me to do, I'm not qualified to do. And, oh, by the way, since it's going to start with exposing and condemning Islam, um, uh, no one's ever done that and lived through it. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you really want this, then it's going to it's going to take uh, a couple of uh, fact, a few concessions here. And here are my uh, requests. Uh, and, yeah, I said, OK, OK, yeah, I'm good with all that. Mm-hmm. Reach into your pocket and uh, and uh, you'll find my answer. I reached into my pocket that day and the. 91st Psalm, Mismore, was, uh, was there. And one of the things that it, uh, it says is that uh, no harm will ever come to my home. 
because so long as I continue to uh, do what we're doing as enthusiastically as possible, it's just as uh, it's, you can rest assured no harm is going to come to your home. It's been 22 years now. Uh, this week is no exception. Um, had it not no been for that promise, I would not be broadcasting to you this evening. Um, there was a uh, tropical storm that was forecast. It's called Brett now. It was forecast to be a Cat 3. And it was uh, going to reach the Cat 3 status right over St. Croix, which is where I live. And then there was a storm right behind it that was going to follow it also rising to the level of a cat three, one after the other. Well, if you look at what happened to that storm after it emerged, uh, it's obvious that Iowa honors promises because one storm went due south of us, about 250 miles due south of us, such that we don't even have a light breeze outside this evening. And the other one, uh, split from it and passing it to the north about the same distance. And you can see at the epicenter of where these two storms were supposed to intersect and go right across is now the place where they split, passing us by and fizzling out. Wow. So we're speaking to you tonight because for 22 years, Yahweh has done this. He's not doing it frivolously. You know, I, you, you don't ask God to uh, to win the lottery and uh, you know have you be able to date the pretty girl. That's uh, that's that's not an appropriate <laughs> use of uh, of the the benefits that Yahweh provides. But He knows that there are so few willing to listen to Him to devote themselves to sharing his message, to call his people home, and the little bit of time that we have remaining, that the distractions have to be removed from those people. And they have to be able to be able to do this without any other obligations and, uh, and pulls on their time. And so he assigns his malak to take care of that. I've had thousands of death threats and yet never ducked once. It is the joy of, of being in Yahweh's service. He protects his children. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, my weather report from the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands uh, to, uh, today and tonight. And delighted to report that, that Yahweh honors his promises. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Um, I wish you thank all a you. wonderful Shabbat. Look forward to being with you next week. And I will promise you that as wonderful as 89, 15, and 16, and uh, 17 have been, it only gets better from here. Dote's yeah. song, the 89th Mismore, is the greatest treasure ever afforded our world. Wow. And we will continue to share it with you. Good night, one and all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this program. May y'all bless. Thank you. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Night, Kirk. Night.